Good morning to you all, and happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. I personally want to say thank you to Jeremy and Michelle for heading up this ministry. And I admit to you that over the course of this week, studying this particular topic, it has been personally very challenging, very convicting for me. And immediately I was thankful for the ministry of Cornerstone Bible Church, Jeremy and Michelle heading that up, as well as many of you who participate in the care of orphans and foster children. It's a wonderful, biblical, gospel-centered, God-like ministry, which I hope we will see this morning as we open God's Word. So if you would, please take your Bible and turn to the book of James. James chapter 1, verse 27. It is appropriate as we talk about James 1.27 ministry to understand James 1.27. James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Let us pray. Father who is in heaven, King of kings, Lord of lords, Father of all fathers, Father to those who trust you, who love you, who are saved in Christ. Lord, we are indebted to the great gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the great tender and fatherly care that you bestow upon those who believe in you. Lord, as we open your word this morning, would you bring your spirit to bear upon us? Would you help us to understand what is your will for the broken, the destitute, the orphans, and the widows in our midst? Lord, we lift up this hour to you on this Father's Day, on this Lord's Day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If I ask the common person on the street, what is true religion? I would get a lot of answers. Following a list of do's and don'ts, obeying lots of rules, living an honest life. Some people might even say going to church. Others would say, well, religion is organized. It's Christianity, it's Islam, it's Buddhism, it's Hinduism. Well, if I asked the same question to people inside the evangelical church, I would get a whole host of different answers. What is true religion? Some would say getting baptized, prayer, fasting, believing the gospel, Bible study, fellowship, worship. And many of these answers are absolutely true. I do not want to take away from them. True religion does indeed consist of obeying the gospel, trusting in Christ, prayer, fasting, Bible study, fellowship, worship. But if I asked us this morning, Cornerstone Bible Church, what is true religion? I wonder how many of us would think of James 1.27. How many of us would immediately have our thoughts jump to James 1.27? And I admit for myself, my thoughts would not immediately jump to James 127. 
But here we have what God says is true religion. Here we have what the Bible says is true religion. Today is a day to celebrate fathers, and rightly so. Today we turn our attention to fathers on Father's Day. But in our church, we have made it also a day to think about those who are fatherless, to think about those without fathers, to think about those without mothers, to think about those without parents, to think of orphans. And so, today on Father's Day, we will spend this time in our second hour thinking about Adoption Sunday, or Orphan Sunday. And this morning, I have two goals. The first goal is to give a brief exposition of James 1.27. And the second goal is to use James 1.27 as a springboard to discuss a biblical ministry to orphans. I want to use James 1.27 to seek to understand the biblical background for ministry to orphans, and most immediately, as we seek to pack backpacks for low-income foster kids, will be attending Bible camp this afternoon, seeking to understand the biblical mandate when it comes to doing a ministry such as this. So let's look first at the passage itself, James 1.27. James 1.27 tells us what true religion is, and it comprises of three features. The essence of true religion, the purity of true religion, and the practice of of true religion. We'll take each one of these one by one. First, the essence of true religion. In our passage, James uses a unique word, religion. It's unique because it only appears four times in the New Testament, twice in this passage alone, James 1, 26 and 27. It can also be translated piety, but that doesn't help us either, does it? What does religion mean? What does James mean when he uses this word, religion? Well, I'm going to argue that this word, religion, points forward in the text, and it points backward in the text. In order for us to understand what this word, religion, means, we must see that it points forward in the context and backward in the context. First, it looks forward. Religion looks forward. In the very next verse in James 2.1, James talks about faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So James talks about practicing religion and holding faith in Jesus Christ in the same breath. There is no interruption in the flow of thought between James 1.27 and James 2 verse 1. Unfortunately, there is a chapter break there, but there shouldn't be, because there is no interruption in the flow of thought. It goes straight forward through the text. So when James, when James speaks about religion, he can speak of faith in Jesus Christ as the same thing. Religion is the same thing as faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus is James's religion. But this word also points backwards in the context. 
It points backwards to the passage right before this one. It points back to chapter 1, verse 22, the theme statement of the entire book of James. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. James has been arguing that those who are truly born again, those who truly have faith in Jesus Christ, are not merely hearers of the word, but doers of the word. The overarching, central theme of the book of James is living out one's faith in obedience to the word of God. So if we put the two together, we see that one component of religion is faith in Jesus. But it's not just faith in Jesus. It's the kind of faith that works itself out in obedience to the word. Religion means to act out your faith in Jesus. James is not using religion in contrast to the gospel. He is using religion consistently with the gospel. Religion in James is not in contradiction to the gospel. Religion in James is living according to the gospel. So that is James's religion. Then James describes religion as pure and undefiled. Pure and undefiled. These two words are actually synonyms. They mean the same thing. There are two ways to talk about one concept. One of them speaks positively, the other negatively. They both mean true, or rather clean. Now, these words would have been very familiar to his original Jewish Christian audience. We believe that the book of James is the earliest book written of the New Testament, sometime between A.D. 44 to 49, and we actually think probably prior to Paul's first missionary journey. And so the church at this time was made up primarily of Jewish Christians, Jews who had recently converted to faith in Jesus Christ. Jews who recently came to faith in Jesus Christ through the gospel. Now when James's Jewish reader heard the word clean, their thoughts would immediately jump to the Old Testament temple, to the Old Testament tabernacle, to the sacrifices, to the rituals, to purity, to ritual cleanliness. These are Levitical terms. These are priestly terms. If you wanted to participate in temple sacrifice, you had to be clean. So James uses these two words in in the context of his letter, and he actually corrects his Jewish Christian reader's thinking. You can imagine it with me. The church, church is actually, that James would have written his letter to, would have gotten a scroll. They would have unrolled the scroll and said, oh yes, a letter from James. And it reads, pure and undefiled religion. And the Jewish Christians would say, oh yeah, yeah, pure and undefiled religion. Yeah, as long as I'm following the rituals, as long as I'm following the sacrifices, as long as I'm doing the the cleansings, I'm being religious. But James says, no. No. Pure 
and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. That is pure and undefiled religion. That is true religion. That is clean religion. The truly religious life is not marked by ceremony, sacrifice, or ritual. The truly religious life is marked by purity and love. The truly religious life is marked by personal holiness and practical application, practical compassion, private piety, and public good deeds. There is a private aspect and a public aspect. There is an inward aspect and an outward aspect. We need both chastity and charity. Since our emphasis this morning will be on orphans, we'll take the end of verse 27 first. And let's look at now the purity of true religion. The purity of true religion. True religion is to keep oneself unstained by the world. The world in James refers to the system of the world's ideologies, the idolatry of the world, the life that is devoid of God. It refers to the philosophies, the values, the lifestyle, the mindset of everything around us that stands in contradiction to God. The world seeks to ignore God. The world does not honor him as God. And so to be truly religious, you must keep yourself from becoming stained by the temptations and philosophies and mindsets and worldview of the world around us. True religion is marked by inward purity. It is marked by personal holiness. And I really like how John MacArthur encapsulates this idea. He calls it habitual holy obedience. We must make it a habit to practice inward, true, clean holiness in our inward lives. To practice holiness in our private life, in our inner man, in our heart of hearts. We must keep ourselves unstained or unspotted by the world. Not a single spot or blemish. Again, Priestly concept, again, a Levitical concept. Take a lamb, unspotted, unstained. We must be like that lamb, unspotted, unstained by the world. Now, some have taken this concept and gone to the extreme. They say, well, I have to be unspotted by the world. I have to be unstained by the world. So all I'm going to do is go move into the forest or go move into a mountaintop And I'll become a monk. I'll isolate myself from the world. But they actually neglect true religion. Because they neglect the public aspect of true religion. The practice of true religion. And this is where we'll spend the remainder of our time this morning. The practice of true religion. To visit orphans and widows in their distress. Now notice that pure and undefiled religion is not just personal thought life. It's not just sexual purity, inward holiness. It is to be engaged in good deeds. Engaged in public good deeds. 
to practice public good works. And James points out that hypocrisy can cut two ways. Hypocrisy can go two ways. We usually think about hypocrisy as practicing lots and lots of good deeds on the outside, but being rotten on the inside. Of being holy and holy on the outside, but being unholy on the inside. But James points out a different kind of hypocrisy. To be, quote-unquote, holy in your inward life, in your private life, but then to have absolutely no good deeds to back that up. To have absolutely no good works to live out your faith. In this verse, he specifically tells us how to live out our faith in the care of orphans and widows. And what I'd like to do at this moment is actually focus in on the care of orphans, And I want to say, please don't get me wrong. This is not to neglect widows. I am not purposefully neglecting widows. We are focusing on orphans because that's what today's ministry is about. As we talk about Adoption Sunday, as we talk about Orphan Sunday. So in the remainder of our time, I'd like to transition to the second part of our message, which is five aspects of a biblical ministry to orphans. Five aspects of a biblical ministry to orphans. First, the care of orphans is a godlike ministry. A godlike ministry. Now let's look at the phrase orphans and widows. Well, who's in view in this verse? Well, as it says, orphans and widows. However, it's not just orphans and widows. It is more than just orphans and widows. Calvin says James does not define generally what religion is, but reminds us that religion, without the things he mentions, is nothing. What Calvin is saying is that we would be wrong if we think all we had to do was take care of orphans and widows, and we could just throw out Bible study, throw out worship, throw out church, throw out fellowship, throw out prayer, throw out fasting, throw out tithing, throw out all of that, and all we need to do is minister to orphans and widows. That's wrong. That's not what James is saying. What Calvin is saying is that if we do all these things and yet neglect the truly needy, then our religion is lacking. It is deficient. It is incomplete. This verse certainly means more than just taking care of orphans and widows, but it does not mean less than taking care of orphans and widows. This verse beckons us to take care of the defenseless in our midst. Now here, let's talk about the definition of an orphan. In present-day America, we define an orphan as someone who does not have both a father and a mother, someone without parents. However, the biblical definition is slightly different. Scripture says that it is a child who does not have a father to care for him. This is why the Bible often refers to the orphans as the fatherless. The word orphan appears only four times in the Bible, in the Scripture. But the word fatherless appears 42 times in the Scripture. And this is why a widow and an orphan can actually describe one family a single family, 
A single family who has lost its father for whatever reason leaves behind an orphan and a widow. So this could be referring to the same family. In ancient Israel, the father was the only source of income for the family, the only source of income for anyone who is dependent upon him. So to be without a father was to be without money, without income, without clothing, without shelter, without care. To be without a father was to be destitute. Orphans and widows were the most defenseless people in all of ancient Israel. They were destitute and in need. But God has always been concerned with orphans and widows. Psalm 68, verse 5, a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. Exodus 22, 22, God says, you shall not afflict any widow or orphan. Deuteronomy 27, 19 says, cursed is he who distorts the justice due an alien, orphan, and widow. God has always been concerned with the orphan and the widow. God has always been concerned with the destitute. Now, what God is doing in these verses is absolutely revolutionary. It is absolutely unique to the God of the Bible. You will find this in no other ancient religion. God is identifying with the bottom of society. The orphan, the widow, the destitute, the needy. Commentator Francis Anderson points out how unique this is. In all other ancient cultures, the other gods would identify with the people at the top. They would never identify with the people at the bottom of society. They would always identify with the rich, the powerful, the strong, the wealthy. So in the ancient world... To go against the king was to go against the gods. To go against the rich was to go against the gods. To go against the powerful was to go against the gods. In other religions, the gods defended the rich, the powerful, and the strong. But in the Bible, it's the opposite. God defends the poor. In the Bible, to go against the poor is to go against God. To go against those at the bottom of society is to go against God. Proverbs 14.31 says, He who oppresses the poor taunts his maker. God says, I stand with the orphan. I stand with the poor. Deuteronomy 10.18, He executes justice for the orphan and the widow. In the scripture, God is defending the orphan and the widow. Why the difference? Well, the gods of other ancient cultures were enamored with power. They were enamored with strength. They were enamored with riches. As one commentator says, they were in bed with power. But our God doesn't work like that. Our God is not in bed with power. Our God is a humble God. Our God is a compassionate God. Our God is not enamored with human power, wealth, or strength. God loves the humble. God welcomes the brokenhearted. He loves the poor in spirit. 
This leads us to our second aspect. Care of orphans is a compassionate ministry. A compassionate ministry. Why does James say pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father? There are many other things that James could have said. Why not say our God and King? Our God and Lord? Or even our God and Savior? Why not say any one of those? Why not say all of them? James uses the image of a father because it is the image of compassion. Compassion. God the Father is compassionate. The image of God as Father speaks of God's compassion. God is showing his heart of compassion. God is showing a heart of compassion towards orphans and widows. Now this does not mean that every single person who has ever been born is a child of God. That is not true. But what this does mean is that our God and Father has a heart of compassion towards the destitute in our world. These are the lonely. These are the poor. These are the destitute. These are the broken. These are the abused. And they have a special place in the heart of God. In fact, they have such a special place in the heart of God that how we, the church, treats them is a test of true religion. We should have the same heart of compassion towards them as our God does. We should pour out care to the same kind of people that our God pours out care to. When we help the helpless, we are acting like God would act, compassionately. Who are God's eyes and ears on the earth? The church. Who are God's hands and feet on earth? The church. Who shows God's heart of compassion on earth? The church. We do, brothers and sisters. If we are not moved to compassion over orphans and widows, then we do not have the same heart of compassion as our God. One of the truest tests of our faith as a church is whether or not we help the helpless in our world. MacArthur says, True Christianity is made manifest by how we love people who are in need. When we talk about compassion, we're really talking about this. This is the bottom line. Minister to those who can never pay you back. Minister to those who can never repay you. Minister to those who can never repay you and don't think about what you're going to get in return. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Thirdly, care of orphans is a historical ministry. A historical ministry. Historically speaking, it has always been the church who cared for orphans. In the 1800s, a congregational pastor named Andrew Reed pastored in Victoria, London, near East London. He believed in expository preaching, sound Bible doctrine, evangelism. He was one of us. He was a theological conservative. He was a like-minded brother. 
And this was during the days of the Industrial Revolution, where you just have these heartbreaking stories of people going to work in factories in just terrible, wretched conditions. And parents would die at work regularly, leaving behind orphans. And even more sadly, you have just really heartbreaking stories of, this is the days before child labor laws. So you have five to six-year-olds going to work in those same factories in just wretched, horrible conditions. I think about my daughters, thinking about them going to work in a wretched factory at the age of five or six. It's unheard of. It's unthinkable. So Reed would walk from his home three blocks to his church, which is close to one of the worst slums in East London. And as he walked these three blocks from his home to his church, every single day, he would pass by orphaned children lining the sidewalks on the streets because nobody was taking care of them. Nobody. And every day, he would walk by them, and he would walk back. Until one day, God moved in his heart to do something about it. In 1844, Reed founded the Asylum for Fatherless Children. Note, fatherless, biblical concept. The first orphanage in England. And he called his church to help him in this ministry. Reed also founded the first home for children with special needs with a man named Dr. John Langdon Down, the man who first described Down syndrome. That's right, Dr. Down of Down syndrome, was a brother in Christ. He was one of us. Now, this sounds really nerdy, but I went on the National Institutes of Health. The doctors, we call it PubMed. It's this big database of literature that has been sort of the corpus of medical literature throughout the years. And I looked on PubMed, and I looked up the biography. They actually have a biography of Dr. Down on PubMed, if you're interested. And it actually said he had strong Christian convictions. And I was actually quite amazed because these are secular people writing a biography of him. And I was quite convicted as a doctor if everyone would say that about me. You know, do I have strong Christian convictions like Dr. Down? Well, that's a side note. Dr. Down and Pastor Reed established the first home for children with special needs. The church, historically, has always been invested in caring for orphans. The Moravian Christians would often have children, as many as in the teens. Many of them were not their own. Spurgeon had an orphanage. Whitfield founded an orphanage in Savannah, Georgia. And you can actually still go there today. D.L. Moody, Amy Carmichael, George Mueller is the most famous example. We'll talk about him in a second. The list goes on and on and on. The church traditionally, historically, has taken care of orphans. The church primarily took care of orphans until the Great Depression and the New Deal. And some of us are getting PTSD flashbacks of our high school history class. The New Deal, passed by FDR in the 1930s, in which the government started to take care of orphans. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. In many ways, it is a good thing. But I will point out that the government taking care of orphans lacks one vital aspect. It is devoid of the gospel. It's devoid of the gospel. Unfortunately, we in the church 
We let the government take charge in this ministry. We willingly took a back seat until liberal Christians, until liberalism infiltrated the church and liberal Christians took up this cause again in the mid-1900s. Liberal Christians started to take care of widows. Liberal Christians took care of orphans. They saw it as a part of social justice. They saw it as a part of the social gospel. Let's be honest with ourselves as a conservative church. Let's just be really honest for a second. We tend to be good at one thing or another. Liberal Christians, they're really good at social justice. But we conservatives, we're really good at keeping ourselves unstained by the world. Liberal Christians, ah, they're really good at taking care of orphans and widows. But we conservatives, we're really good at watching over our life and doctrine, which is very important. But brethren, this dichotomy ought not to be so. Liberals and conservatives have both missed the point. They have both missed the point. The point is, to practice true religion, we need both chastity and charity. We need both private piety and public good deeds. We need both the inner aspect and the outer aspect. That's the entire point of James 1.27. When liberals focus so much on social justice, they forget about the gospel. They neglect keeping themselves unstained by the world. They neglect God the Father. They neglect the very reason why they are doing what they are doing. But when we conservatives shy away from helping widows and orphans, we are shying away from pure and undefiled religion. We are shying away from what God would want us to act, from what God would want us to do. I am not advocating for social justice. I am not advocating for a social gospel. I am advocating for biblically informed, spirit-fueled, gospel-centered ministry to the destitute in our day. I am advocating that we practice true religion according to James 1.27. We in the conservative church should be set apart by how we take care of orphans, not set apart by how we are afraid to take care of orphans. We in the conservative church should be examples of how we take care of orphans, not examples of how we do nothing for them. Fourthly, care of orphans is a physical ministry, a physical ministry. James says to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Now the word visit is a loaded word. It has physical ramifications and spiritual ramifications. Kind of like the word peace, as Pastor Isaiah brought up this morning, as a Hebrew context and a Greek context. And you can imagine, these were people who lived in two cultures because they were Jewish, and they also lived in Roman culture, but the widespread language of the day was Greek. So they lived in a Greek culture. They lived in a multiple cultural society, multicultural society. And so for them, when they heard this word, they would immediately think of two things. The first is the Greek context. It was used in classical Greek to refer to a doctor who would relieve suffering. It refers to the relief of physical suffering. James says to visit orphans in their distress. You could also read it to relieve the orphans of their poverty. 
to relieve the orphans of their physical hardship, to relieve the orphans of their physical suffering, to relieve physical suffering. God has always been concerned not just with the spiritual poverty of orphans, but also the physical poverty of orphans. In the law, Deuteronomy 14, 28, and 29 says that every Jew in every third year was to give a special tithe for the care of orphans and widows. Deuteronomy 24, 19-21, God gives rules to Israel about harvesting. He says, do not harvest every single bit of your field, but when you harvest, leave some for the orphan. When you harvest your olive tree, leave some for the orphan. When you harvest your grapes, leave some for the orphan. Brothers and sisters, we should not spiritualize these texts. We are lying to ourselves if we think that this does not refer to the physical relief of suffering of these orphans. Perhaps the greatest example of ministry to orphans in church history is a man named George Mueller. Mueller was a German missionary to England in the 1800s, and he's famous for his Christian ministry to orphans. Mueller said these were his three reasons for establishing an orphan house. Mueller wrote, the three chief reasons for establishing an orphan house are, one, that God may be glorified, and thus the faith of his children may be strengthened. Two, the spiritual welfare of fatherless and motherless children. And three, their temporal welfare. His ministry to orphans started in 1836 when he and his wife brought in 30 orphaned girls into their own home. By 1871, he was overseeing the care of 1,400 orphans in five different orphanages. Throughout it all, he never asked anybody for support. Not a single person. When they were building their five orphanages, he didn't even let people know. He didn't let people know of their financial needs. He didn't go fundraising. He didn't tell anyone that they needed money. All Mueller did was pray, and boy, did he pray. He prayed and trusted that God would provide, and God provided in some ways that we could never even dream. One article I read tells the story of one occasion when the house mother of the orphanage told Mueller in the morning, the children are dressed and ready for school, but there is no food for them to eat. Mueller told her to get the children dressed and into the dining room. So she took 300 children into the dining room, and they sat down at the table. Then Mueller prayed. He prayed and thanked God for the food, except they did not have any food. He prayed and waited. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I will bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage and the milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. So he asked George, would you like some free milk? George smiled as he brought in 10 large cans of milk, just enough for 300 thirsty children. 
God provided physically for the orphans, sometimes in ways we could never imagine. Fifth and last, the care of orphans is a spiritual ministry. Let's look again at this word visit. Again, it has spiritual overtones and physical overtones. Spiritually speaking, in the Hebrew context, in the biblical context, this word referred to the Lord visiting his people. The Lord coming down and spiritually blessing his people. Ministering to his people. Showing love and compassion. God himself ministers spiritually when he comes in visitation. In Exodus 4.31, God visited Israel in their affliction. The Lord had visited the children of Israel in Egypt, and he had looked upon their affliction. In Luke 1.68, at the coming of Jesus, Zacharias says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. So we can already see that this word visit has more than just physical overtones. It has spiritual overtones. It speaks of visitation in the context of redemption, of, phys- of spiritual rescue, of spiritual blessing. So brethren, our ministry to orphans should not just be physical. It should be filled with the word of God. It should be filled with the truth of God. It should be filled with the gospel. It must be more than just physical care. It must be redemptive. Here's some pictures of George Mueller. On the left, we have orphan girls under Mueller's care. On the right, we have orphan babies in Mueller's nursery. It is estimated that George Mueller took care of more than 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. When each child would become old enough to live on his own, Mueller would pray with him and put a Bible in his right hand and a coin in his left. And he would tell that young person that as long as he held on to what was in his right hand, God would always take care of what was in his left hand. George Mueller ministered spiritually to 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. Brothers and scriptures, scripture calls us to take an interest in the spiritual and physical well-being of orphans. Now, thankfully, this afternoon, and personally, again, I, like I said, I'm super thankful that in this church we understand this mandate. In this church, we have people such as Jeremy and Michelle and many of you who have engaged in foster care, ministry to orphans, ministry to foster children, ministry to kinship children, It is encouraging. It is a way for us to directly apply what we have learned. So brothers and sisters, when we pack backpacks this afternoon and if you've brought things to donate, you're doing more than just stuffing a backpack. What you're doing is, in a sense, visiting orphans in their distress. You're practicing a godlike ministry, a compassionate ministry, a historical ministry, a physical ministry, and a spiritual ministry. You are engaging in James 1.27 ministry. You are engaging in pure and undefiled religion. Let us pray. Our Father who is in heaven,
You remind us that we are blessed so that we can bless others. You remind us that we have been given so much so that we could give to others. You remind us that we have been shown compassion so that we can show compassion to others. So Lord, as we engage in James 127 ministry on this day, help us to understand the gospel ramifications of this ministry. Lord, even now as we partake of this meal, Lord, would you be with us in our fellowship? Would you be with us in our friendship? Would you be with us as we break bread? May we eat and drink all to your glory and to the praise of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.